How's everyone? Good. Welcome to visitors. I see some folks I'm not sure I've seen before. Welcome. My name for you who don't know me, my name is Karen Love. One of the worship leaders here today. Um, if you'll turn to look in your bulletins, we do have some announcements. Um, I'm not going to read them on to let you guys look at those. Um, I will bring to your attention, if anyone needs a tithing report for 2022, just let Pat know and she'll get that for you. She is working on a few who's asked her for those. Um, and to that note, when we're talking about tithing, we are not doing ushers with um, our tithe. But for those of you who don't know, there is um, a plate in the narthex if you want to drop your tithe there. Um, then Pat gets that at the end of the service. So that's available there. Um, so that looks like that's it for that. So the offerings in the north end. Um, we have a birthday today. I'd like to recognize Will Black, who is our, one, our senior here. Um, he, I was told by a little birdie last night that he had a birthday party. So I thought, we've got to say happy birthday to Will. So thank you, Will. Um, hope you have a great day and a great year. Lots going on in your life this year, and we, we pray for you every day for that. Um, and thank you, Charlie, for telling me what, what's going on in, in Will's life. <laughs> he enjoyed that party last night. <laughs> okay. Are there any other announcements? No other announcements. Okay. So, oh, I do have uh, a thank you note from the Nazareth Children Home for, an art, for our donation uh, contribution to them uh, for this year, um, and they greatly appreciate that. I'm going to put this in the, on the bulletin board back here if anyone wants to read that. So we'll start with our uh, morning scripture uh, for our praise, Psalm 3, Save Me. Save me, O oh my God. O oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down in sleep. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Now, if you'll stand, we'll open with our hymn, 458. Thank you. 
you remain standing, we'll uh, receive the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he arose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. for you. What book of the Bible have we been studying for the last little while? Not Psalms. Not Proverbs. Starts with an R, ends in omens. Romans. 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 So, we have been studying Romans, and I want to ask about a... Did any of you see the church sign this morning? Or, Or maybe the bulletin? There's a word spelled out on there. L-O-V-E. What word is that? Love. What what does love mean? Kind? Being kind? What's that? Well, you could be here all day explaining it. Hopefully we won't be here all day as I try to explain it later. But if you... Have it, what, if you all right, so let's let's talk about people in your life that that love you. Who are who are some people who love you? Grandpa and grandma, mom and dad, friends, aunts and uncles. Okay, so let me ask you this: for all these people, let's let's take your your moms and dads for a minute. They mom and dad love you very much. How do you know that? Because they tell you all the time. Because they had you. Yeah, they kind of have to at this point. Yeah, but but how do you know today that your moms and dads love you? Yeah, they love you that much. Is there something they do or something they say that that helps you to know? If they say I love you, that helps. Are there actions or the things that they do that that let you know that they love you? Hugs and kisses. What about? What about food? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, we love food. What about uh, laundry and clean clothes? 
We like clean clothes. Well, let me ask you this. One, one person who loves you that you didn't mention is God. God loves you, right? How do you know? Okay, he says it in the Bible, right? We sing the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Well, yep. And so, in addition to, just like our parents, they tell us that they love us, and we know it that way, but also they show us that they love us through cooking cooking food and doing laundry and all these other things they do, hugs and kisses. When God tells us that he loves us, how does he show us that he loves us? The cross. Thank you, Charlie. The cross. The cross is the greatest display of God's love. If it weren't for the cross, and God only told us that, that he loved us, but he never showed us, we'd probably have a reason to doubt. We'd probably question it and wonder if there were, on hard days, if he really did love us, like he says he does. But any time that we have those days, all we have to do is remember the cross. And it doesn't matter how we feel, it doesn't matter what, what it may seem or not seem, whether it's, it feels like God loves us, when we look to the cross, we know without a doubt, this proves that God loves us. And so this morning, that's what we're going to be talking about in Romans chapter 5, is, is how we know that God loves us, because he demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's true. God loves you, and that's how we know it. I'm going to pray for you. Father, thank you for these young ones, and thank you for bringing them here to be with your people and to be with your church to worship you. God, I pray that you would draw them to you and that you would continue to reveal yourself to these to these young ones and that they would know without a doubt that you love them. And should they ever doubt it, all they need to do is look to the cross where you display your love for us. Thank you, Father. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Patrick. It's my week to do it, but we didn't get connected, so he did it. And of course, a great, great thing that we're talking about today is love. So now we'll stand. Our next song is Breathe on Me, Breath of God. And for those who may need, I will be in the nursery uh, if that's needed today.
you have your Bibles, I invite you to grab them and turn with me to the book of Romans. Uh, if you do not have a Bible or have a, a device that has a Bible app on it, feel free to grab one of the blue Bibles on your pews uh, and turn with me to the book of Romans. We are continuing through our study this morning and looking at Romans chapter 5. And this morning we uh, are continuing through this, this series through the whole book and looking at this one section in Romans 5, the first 11 verses, kind of working our way through it this morning over the last several weeks as we have been. This morning I want to read to you verses 1 through 11, but our focus will be on verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. So hear, hear the word of the Lord this morning. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Pray with me. Father, we come to your word this morning being reminded of our weakness, being reminded of our need. There is no one here, not even me, who, who can stand here before your word and claim knowledge, claim insight, claim understanding, were it not for your spirit dwelling with your people. Uh, your word speaks to us, we do not speak to your word sits over us. We do not sit over it. So God, as we come to your word this morning, we come humbly. We come in need. We come weakly. Speak to us, Father. Speak to us, Savior. Speak to us, Spirit. Teach us. Remind us of your love for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, as you've heard me mention to the children not too long ago, this morning our message is a four-letter word, love. And I say that love is a four-letter word because it, it is used in, in so much, it, it has this wide range of connotation and meaning, it brings about to mind a very, very specific and yet very different opinions and feelings and definitions, depending on the person using it and the object to which they're using it. So, for example, we, we use this four-letter word 
to describe our feelings and our attitudes towards both the most important things and people in our lives and the most mundane objects of our lives. So in the same breath, someone could say, I love my spouse and I love tacos. And we both understand exactly what they mean. We use this four-letter word to justify our actions, whether those actions are good or bad. I bought these flowers because I love you. Or, I'm only telling you this because I love you. We use this four-letter word in every arena of life for just about any situation of life to describe our perspective on anything and everything in life. This word is wild and crazy and far-reaching. And yet at the same time, love comes with certain expectations, certain understandings, especially today. You see, from a a cultural perspective, today in our world, in order for me to tell you that I love you, in order for me to love you, I must accept you exactly as you are, in every way that you are, and require nothing of you in return. I certainly cannot require or ask anything about you to change in any way, shape, or form. Because the moment that I point out any error in your life or in your thinking or in the the way that you are, the moment that I seek to correct or the moment that I seek to change anything about you, from our world's perspective, that is the moment that I effectively cease loving you. See, I think what makes love this four-letter word is that it's so tricky. Yeah, we throw it around so much that it, it at times can lose a lot of weight, a lot of significance, but at the same time, this word carries so much impact whenever it's used. That it encompasses more than just a, a simple feeling, a simple hormonal imbalance, a chemical reaction. Last week, we, we began, as we were looking at verses 3, 4, and 5, we began this discussion on the assurance of our salvation. Throughout Romans, so far, we've seen Paul kind of hammer home this belief that we are justified, that we are made righteous, that we are saved by faith and faith alone. Faith in Christ alone. And so last week, we began with this question, well, if if it is by faith that we are saved, then how can we know that our faith is legitimate? There are two obstacles I pointed out to this assurance of salvation. The first obstacle being the the authenticity of our faith. How do I know that my faith is real? And the second obstacle is the reality of God's love. How do I know that God really loves me like he says he does? And we addressed the first obstacle last week, so if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go back and and check out last week's message and and see the the authenticity of our faith. But this morning, I I want to address this, this second obstacle. This reality of God's love. How do we know, without a doubt, without any shred of uncertainty, how can we be sure that God truly does love us? So I want to show you this morning from these these few verses, these four verses, just the two components of God's love. And how this divine love has implications for the love that we now share among ourselves. So component number one. God's love is experienced in the heart. God's love is experienced in the heart. 
We, we briefly looked at verse 5 last week, but I want to look at it again with you this morning. Paul says, look there, he says, hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, we're, we're talking about God's love this morning. So first, Paul wants to see that, that God's love is something that we experience, something that we feel on a personal, subjective level. See, it's not enough to simply know that God loves us. It's not enough to simply believe an argument, to have someone rationally explain God's love to you. You must personally experience it. You must know it for yourself. It's something that you feel. And because it's a a feeling, a, a personal experience, it's not really something that can be defined in any sort of concrete way. I can't stand here this morning and tell you, this is what it feels like to have God's love on you. Any more than you can look at a small child and say, this is what it feels like to have a parent's love on you. It's just one of those things that you know it when you have it, and you know it when you don't. And and so it's something that that we have to understand. There's a, a personal, subjective nature to God's love. God's love is similar to this in that we, we feel His love. It's a subjective, personal experience to know God loves you. And He gives us this experience of His love by giving us Himself, by giving us His presence, by giving us His Spirit. That's what Paul's getting at here. He says we know that God loves us because He has poured out His Spirit into our hearts. You he, he, has, he has given us Himself. He has given us Himself personally and experientially. He, he has poured Himself into our hearts. And in such a way that you now feel His closeness. You feel His presence. And in that presence, you feel, you experience His love for you. I mentioned last week how this sort of makes me uncomfortable. I, I like to be rational. I like to be a, a, a preacher, a pastor who can explain things in clear, concise, definable ways. Because I, I'm a firm believer that the, the path to the heart is through the mind. And this makes me uncomfortable. To, to, to relegate God's love to an experience. Because in reality, it's something that just can't be quantified. It can't be measured. It can't be rationally explained. But what we can know, and what we can think through rationally, as far as God's love, is what Paul teaches us here. So again, look at verse 5. I want to I just quickly break this down. This is what he says. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let's, let's break this down a little bit. So first, the experience of the love of God is given to us not created by us. So this experience is given, not created. It's given to us, not created by us. You can notice that in the in the verb, the tense of the verb. God's love has been poured out on us. We are the passive recipients. We stand, God acts. He's the one doing the pouring. We do the we're the ones doing the receiving. And, and, and this feeling of, of God's love is not something that we create. It's not something that we can manufacture. We are not its source, and we are not its provider. 
So to experience the love of God, it must be given to you by God. He is the only one who can provide this feeling. Not churches, not pastors, not music, not worship, none of it. God's love comes to you from God and no one and nothing else. Frankly, too much is made, especially especially in the church, too much is made of feeling. Too many churches, too many preachers and teachers within churches have made too much of feeling in the, in the avenue of worship, in the arena of worship. And, and the church, many in the church have abused this priority of feeling, and they've abused this to their own ends. So we live in an age where churches focus on creating an atmosphere within a worship service where you feel God's presence. And they pray things that the Spirit would come and His presence would be felt by everyone present. And typically what that often looks like is a very specific type of worship service. Songs that play on emotion. Sermons that elevate feeling over truth. So that unless you come away from these services with a specific kind of feeling, then you really just haven't worshipped. If I'm honest with you, I, I despise this in churches. There is, it is more than a pet peeve. It is something that gets under my skin and nags at me. When pastors and teachers and churches prioritize a feeling or an experience on Sunday morning. Because what happens is then the leadership of the church has taken it upon themselves to manipulate and to manifest a certain feeling among the church. And then to have the audacity to say that your emotions and the way that you feel is what determines God's love for you. And if you don't feel it, then God must not love you. And if you had a bad morning and your kids were frustrating and you walked into the service and you couldn't focus and concentrate and it took 45 minutes of the 50-minute service to actually get your head on straight so that you leave frustrated, well, then God must not have loved you well enough that morning. God's love for you is something to be felt. It is something to be experienced, yes. But it is never something that we can create or manipulate on our own. He is the source and provider of his love, and he alone must give it for it to be felt. Second, the love of God is given through the Holy Spirit. We touched on this a little bit lastly, quickly, just that the presence of God with his people will always be the determining sign of his love for them. It was this way in the Old Testament through the temple. God's presence among Israel was the sign to both Israel and to the rest of the world. You are mine, I am yours, and I love you. So how do you know that God loves you today? Because he's with you. He gives you his spirit and he's with you. Third, Paul says in verse 5, talking about the spirit, we must know that the Holy Spirit is given to all believers. The Holy Spirit is given to all believers. It is the Spirit who first opens our ears to hear the gospel. It is the Spirit who opens our eyes to see the love and the beauty and the glory of God in Christ. 
And it is the Spirit who softens our callous, dead hearts to believe the Gospel in the first place. Every single person who has ever believed the Gospel of Jesus has believed because of the Spirit of God. Paul says very clearly, we'll get to it eventually, Lord willing, in Romans 8, verse 9. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. It's pretty clear. If you belong to Christ, you have His Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you do not belong to Christ. And this is what Paul is saying here as well. You notice the pronouns that he uses. Our, us. God's love has been poured into our hearts. The Holy Spirit has been given to us. Therefore, Paul says, if you are loved by God, you have His Spirit. And if you have His Spirit, then you know that you are loved by God. John Piper said it this way. He said, all true Christians have at least tasted the outpouring of God's love in our hearts. Every true Christian knows the love of God not just as an argument, but as an experience. The Holy Spirit has opened the eyes of the heart to see the preciousness and beauty of the love of God in Christ for what it really is. And we have been moved by a spiritual sense of that love in the heart to cherish and value and treasure and trust this Christ and the love of God in Him. That is what it means to become a Christian. To know the love of God, to taste it, to experience it, because the Spirit of God has been poured into your heart, and you know it. So to know that God loves you, to overcome this obstacle of the reality of God's love for you, to be certain of it, involves a subjective, personal, even emotional feeling that comes from God in the person of the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. God's love is experienced in the heart. That's the first component. It is experienced in the heart. The second component of God's love. God's love is demonstrated in history. It is experienced in the heart, and it is demonstrated in history. You see, feeling God's love is important. It's necessary. But it is not enough to feel that God loves you. Especially if that feeling is not grounded or anchored in some sort of truth. Historical, factual truth. See, our emotions are a lot like the ocean. There are tides and there are currents and there are waves and there are calm days and there, there are these ever-shifting tides that, that are always moving, that our emotions are really hard at times to manage and to navigate. And we either hold a firm, a, a firm grip on that, that wheel and we keep the ship afloat or we let the emotions toss the ship wherever it may go. And you see, if these ever-shifting tides of emotions control us, then our boat will forever be lost at sea. We will be tossed back and forth between this feeling and that feeling, and, and nothing will ever seem firm. Nothing will ever seem foundational. We will just be tossed back and forth. That's a dangerous place to be in. Because we would be without any sort of foundation, and, and God's love is not foundationless. Yes, we must feel and experience God's love for us. But that feeling, that, that experience, it, it is rooted and grounded in the cross of Christ. Calvary, 
is the historical, factual demonstration of God's love for you. And without Calvary, we would never be able to truly know if God actually loved us. Think of it like this. It's one thing for a husband to tell his wife that he loves her. It's another for a husband to show his wife that he loves her. If a husband only ever says, I love you, to his wife, but never takes actionable steps to prove it, to show it, to demonstrate this love, then I guarantee you the day will come in that marriage where the wife begins to question. Does he? He says it a lot, but does he? See, love is, is more than words. It is more than thoughts. It is more than feeling and emotions. Love, in every capacity of life, love is always demonstrated in some tangible way. And God's love for you works the same. It must be demonstrated in a tangible way for it to be real. So how does God do this? He does it through the death of His Son. Look at, look at verses 6 through 8. Verse 5 says that we feel His love because we have the Spirit. And then Paul takes it a step further. He says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, God died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Follow, follow Paul's logic here. Look at his, his argument. He begins with human love, something that all of us can understand in some level or of capacity. As humans, it doesn't matter our race, it doesn't matter our ethnicity, our heritage, our, our culture, where we live, or the time in which we live, humans have an understanding of what love is. And every person across all time and cultures understands that it is a great act of love to lay down your life for someone else. And we can think of as soldiers laying down their lives on the battlefield for their, for their country. Men in the trenches of World War I or, or on the beaches of Normandy in World War II. We, we look at those, those men in that point in time in history and we say those men loved like no one else could love. They put themselves in harm's way for the good of people back home. But that's the kicker that Paul is really getting at. These soldiers, to use this example, they did it for a good reason. They did it for people that they already loved. Or they did it for a good cause. We understand this kind of love. We don't take away and say this is a lesser kind of love. But what Paul is doing is he moves from human love and this understanding that it's a good love to die for good people or for people that we love. That's a great display of love from a human perspective. But Paul then moves to divine love. He says, Christ didn't die for good people. Christ didn't die for a good cause. He didn't die for people who loved him already. He died for people who hated him. He died for people who were ungodly. He died for people who were weak. He died for rebellious, undeserving, ungodly 
weak people. And he did it, Paul says, at the right time. To put it in perspective of our human love example with these soldiers on the battlefield, this type of love would be like a man in the trenches of World War I, standing there in no man's land between their trench and the, the enemy's trench, and it would be the sense of an American soldier jumping out of his trench and jumping in front of his buddy's gun to take the bullet that would kill an enemy. We would call that lunacy. To think of a soldier doing this, of jumping in front of his ally's bullet to save his enemy would be absurd on every level imaginable. It would make no sense. It's suicide. Why would you die for someone who's trying to kill you? Even in the greatest display of human love that we can possibly imagine, Christ goes so far beyond it that we are almost incapable of understanding. Therefore, what Paul is saying and what we must understand is that God's love is far greater in magnitude and dependability than even the greatest component of human love could possibly be. His love extends beyond our wildest imaginations and the greatest act of human love that we can give looks teeny, tiny, nothing compared to what God's love does. Because here's the truth. Christ didn't die for you because you made a move towards Him. He didn't die for you because you had the potential of being a good person. He didn't die for you because he thought one day you might have the opportunity to believe in him. He died for you when you were weak, when you were ungodly, and when you were undeserving. He died for you while you were still a sinner. When you loved sin and hated God, that's the right time. That's the time in which Christ died for you. When you were lost in darkness and you hated the light. When you were dead and had no capability of ever living. That is when Christ died for you. See, God doesn't love you because you love Him. He doesn't love you because you have the capability of loving Him or the desire to love Him. He loves you despite your hatred of Him. He loves you despite the fact that you love your sin more than you love Him. He loves you despite you. And that is a love that cannot compare with anything ever in this world. There is no example, no illustration, no comparison, no analogy that I can give to you that would possibly amount to any sort of comparison to this love. Because this is a love that surpasses our understanding of love. It goes beyond anything that our minds or our hearts can possibly comprehend. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, the driving force behind Calvary, the reason that Christ ever died on the cross to begin with, was because God loved you. How do we know? 
How can we be sure? How can we have this assurance of God's love for us? Because we see the cross. Where His love for you was displayed in a tangible way. So that you would know without a doubt it's real. God's love is experienced in our hearts. And God's love is demonstrated in history. These are the two components of God's love. This is what makes up divine love. But why does all this matter? What does God's love for you do, and what does it ask of you in return? I think there's, there's three, three actions, three steps that we are called to, to take in light of God's love for us. Know, grow, show. Know, grow, show. Know the love of God. Know the love of God. If you were to go and read the rest of Paul's New Testament letters to churches, you would find a common theme in all of these letters is Paul praying for this church that he's writing to. He, he prays over and over again. And these, these prayers within each letter provide, honestly, an insight into Paul's heart and what his concern for this particular church is and what he desires them to do or to grow in, what he desires God to do for them and how he wants to see them live as God's people. One such prayer that comes to mind in light of this passage is in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 19. This is what Paul writes. He says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So that's a prayer and a half. But it's, it's remarkable. Do you notice what's at the heart of that prayer? What does Paul pray for the church? He doesn't pray that their numbers grow. He doesn't pray that they baptize more people. He doesn't pray that they endure persecution better. He prays that the Spirit of God who dwells within them would give them the ability to comprehend the fullness of God's love. Paul says this love goes beyond your measure, beyond your capacity, and its height and depth and length and breadth. It is so far beyond what you can understand that I pray that the Spirit of God would expand your ability to comprehend this love. I want you to know it. And I want you to be able to know it more. Because being a Christian means knowing that God loves you. It means knowing that His love for you will never tire. It will never run out. It will never be exhausted. It will never end. The primary way that we become more like Christ is simply by knowing that God loves me. And He loves me despite me. See, there will be days when you do not feel His love. And there will be days where you doubt His love. There will be days when His love for you seems very, very far away. And on those days, let me encourage you. Let me pray the same prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians. I pray that on those days, you would know with certainty, with confidence, with assurance.
assurance the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ. And on those days of doubt and uncertainty, I pray that you would simply look to the cross and know the love of God. Second thing that this calls us to is to grow. Grow in the love of God. Know the love of God and grow in the love of God. Let me point you to another prayer of Paul's for another church. It's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. It's a shorter prayer. And this is what he says. He says, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. I, I find it interesting that, that Paul uses the word direct here, especially regarding our hearts. It's as if he understands that our hearts have a direction. Our hearts move in certain ways and, in, and towards things and away from things. Our hearts drift. And he prays that the direction of our hearts would be towards the love of God. That it would be directed towards the steadfastness of Christ. Church, you will never reach a point in your life where you find the bottom of God's love for you. That's why Paul prays what he does for the Ephesians. There's a height and length and depth and and breadth of of God's love that surpasses our understanding. But at the same time, this immensity of God's love for us that surpasses our understanding means that there's always room for us to grow in it. That it's so big, so expansive, that little old you and little old me can sit in the middle of it and then grow in it. And in order for us to grow in it, our hearts have to be directed towards it. So I want you to grow in that. I want you to continue and to, to hunger and thirst for the love of God in Christ for you. That this love would, would grow in, in new and deepening ways. That I, I want you as a church, I want us as a church to continue to come back to this well of God's love over and over and over again. Only to realize that the more that we come back to this well, the thirstier for it we become. You may be here this morning, and you may find that while you know that God loves, God loves you, and you've been told it from the time that you were one of these kids sitting on this front step, you haven't really been growing yet. It's just kind of been there. You've settled yourself with the knowledge that you have, and you've dug yourself into a little bit of a rut, if we're honest. It's okay. Because here's the good news. With the Spirit dwelling within you, it's time to get out of that rut. It's time to dive deeper into the love of God. It's time for us to grow. Let it be the water that satisfies your roots. Let it be the sunshine that warms your face. Let it be the sustenance that drives you on. Press into the love of God. Let your heart be directed towards the love of God so that you can grow. Know the love of God. Grow in the love of God. And finally, show the love of God. See, Paul is not the only New Testament writer who picks up on this theme of God's love. In fact, Paul might even be second or third on the list of of writers who talks about God's love. In fact, John may have been more prolific in his writing on God's love than Paul. He says it in 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. He says this, 
In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So this is something that we've, we've been talking about, that this is how we know God loves us. He sent his Son to us to die for us, to be our sacrifice. It's not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And then right at the end of it, John adds a word to the church. He says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If this is the way that we understand God's love for us, and this is what God has done in demonstration of his love for us, that we feel and experience his love for us, then we should do the same for others. This is how we ought to love one another. Christ's love for you is not only the reason that you are saved, but it is also the example of love that you are to follow as you seek to love the people around you. It's one thing to love those who love you. That's easy. That's human. But Jesus himself told his disciples, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He not only said it, this defined his life. This defined his death. He loved you when you were his enemy. He loved the soldiers who drove those nails through his hand. He loved the men and women who stood at the foot of his cross while he suffered and suffocated and they mocked him. In the middle of it all, he loved them. And then he calls on you to do the same. What would it look like what would it look like in your life to love people who disagree? What would the world look like if Christians modeled this divine love to those seeking to silence us? Christian, you are called to love the sinner because as a sinner, you were loved. So love the sinner. Love the rebel. Love the wicked. Love the terrorist, love the homosexual, love the murderer, love the rapist, love the pro-choice, love the Democrat, love the Republican, love the abuser, love the assailant, love the racist, love them all, because you were once one of them, and you were loved. I stand by what I said at the beginning this morning, that love is a four-letter word. It is a word that makes us uncomfortable when we hear it said in certain contexts. It's a scandalous word. It's difficult. And at times it goes against everything that we believe to love people who are not like us, who are opposed to us, and who are opposed to everything that we believe. Church, know. Know that God loves you. That he loves you with a love that surpasses anything you could ever dream or imagine. And his love goes deeper and farther than anything that we could possibly know in this world. Church, grow in this love. Let it be the one thing that defines who you are. Because the most important truth about you as an individual is not where you live, it's not what you do, it's not where you go to church. The most important truth about you. God loves 
Lastly, church, show this love. Show it. Our world is hurting. This is desperate need love. Not human love. Not a love that gives only if it receives. Not a love that loves only that love in return. But this world needs to know a love that loves in the face of hatred and persecution and wickedness. Because that's what God's love is. God loves you. If you don't believe it, then look at the cross. You'll never find a greater or a truer display of love. Pray with me. Father, we we are overwhelmed by your love. It is too much for us. It is too much to imagine it being poured out for us or on us or in us. It is too much for us to imagine trying to give that to someone else. But your love, as overwhelming as it is, true, it is powerful, it is palpable. So Father, help us to know this love, to experience it, to feel it, to, to know the Spirit of God dwelling within us, and to know that you love us. Help us to grow in this love, to never get tired of hearing the same gospel story that tells us that God loves us so much Help us to show this love. To show it to people that we deem unworthy of it. Because we were and are unworthy of it. And yet it was shown to us. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. As we respond here every week, uh, we respond by taking communion together. Uh, Ron is at the back of you just raise your hand, he'll bring you the elements. Uh, as he is passing those out, let me just give a, a quick word of instruction here. Church, this, this table is for believers. To, to put it in a way that connects with what we've just said, this table is for those loved by God. If you have placed faith in Christ, stayed in faith in Christ, and have rested in His finished work, in His death, His resurrection, if His Spirit dwells within you, then this table is for you. If it does not, then this table, I'll be quite honest, this table does nothing for you. This table is just a picture. It's not going to satisfy any appetite. It's not going to satisfy a craving for lunch that you have. It's not going to hold you over. It certainly isn't going to save your soul. Because it's just a picture. It's a sign. It's like a wedding ring. It reminds us of God's love. But without the real thing, it really is meaningless. So if you're here this morning and that's you, maybe you're just not sure of where your faith has been. Maybe you're not sure if God really does love you or if your faith is as real as you hope it is. Let me just ask you to do this for me. Put this in the pew in front of you and don't take it. Because what I'd rather you do this morning is to actually have the real thing. I'd I'd actually rather you have God's love poured out onto you this morning rather than take this. 
And if that is you and you want to talk more about it, I'd love to talk to you more about it. Just give me a nod, give me a wink, squeeze my hand a little extra tighter as you leave this morning and we'll have a conversation. Christian, you more than anyone else in the world know the power and the weight and the impact of God's love for you. Let this table be a reminder of it. So as we come to the table, we come first to the bread. We see in this bread the body of Christ on the cross. The tangible demonstration of God's love for you. How do you know? How do you know that God loves you? Because at the right time, while we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. The body of Christ broken for you. And then the cup. One of the things I love about taking communion every week is because that that bread, as we remember the cross and we remember Calvary and we remember the body of Christ broken for us, is encouraging, it's refreshing, it's uplifting. There's rest and peace in the cross of Christ. And it's as if we put this little cup over and we unwrap the, the juice. And every week it's as, if, it's as if Christ is saying, you ain't seen nothing yet. Because the day is coming where we will no longer doubt, question, or wonder if God loves us. The day will come when the entire earth, from one corner of the galaxy to the other, will be filled with the glory of God. And His love will be known throughout. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, to the King. Let's continue in worship by singing one final hymn together. It's hymn 560. I love to tell the story. Stand and sing.
couple of announcements before our benediction. Uh, student growth group tonight, preschool to high school age, come and hang out with us. Uh, we'll have fun, dinner, Bible study, and, and just time together. We'd love to have you, have you join us. Thursday, our adult growth group, 6.30 at the Parsonage. Uh, your bulletin says John 7. We will be reading John 9. Uh, if you haven't been a part of our John study, come and we'll, we'll talk about John 9 together. Uh, my wife is reminding me about the bottles at the back. Uh, these are for a pregnancy resource center in Stanley County that we as a church are partnering with for a fundraiser this month. Uh, just fill it up with change and bring it back. Uh, there should be information uh, in the bulletin about, about those bottles. If you have any questions, I'm going to point you to Paige, to Jessica, to any of our, our women in the, the women's fellowship. Uh, let us say our, our benediction together. It's the Great Commission. Christ has called you to go and tell others that God loves them. So we say the Great Commission together as a reminder of this last command. Say it with me. And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go in grace.